0: Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history
1: lesson is purely coincidental. And here's your 30-second summary. A hundred years before the first computer was invented, Ada Lovelace wrote the first computer program. Now how did she do that? A magic wand? A time machine? Perhaps a kind of intelligence the world had never seen before. It's a curious thing, this thinking machine. Stay tuned. Let's talk about Ada Lovelace. But first, let's drop her into
0: history. In 1815, the U.S. Library of Congress reopened after it had been burned down by the British. The world's first commercial cheese factory opened in Switzerland. Napoleon Bonaparte's run as emperor of France ended for good after the Battle of Waterloo, and he was sent off in exile again for good. 39 German states unified under the Act of Confederation. Emma by Jane Austen was first published. Elizabeth Cady Stanton entered this world. And on December 10, 1815, the first computer programmer, Ada Lovelace, was born long before computers even existed.
1: The Honorable Augusta Ada Byron was born on December 10th, 1815, the only child of the union of George Gordon Byron, who history simply calls Lord Byron, and Anne Isabella Milbank, who was always called Annabella. Though, I will tell you, and we'll talk about it later, Papa had at least one other daughter from a later relationship. (laughs) papa man what do we say about lord byron (laughs) well the sixth baron byron whose father had twice married for money and blown it all whose father could not step foot on british soil when his son was born or he'd be jailed for debt (laughs) um (laughs) let's just say that ada's papa by the way, everyone always called her Ada, not Augusta, by the way. Well, Ada's papa took after his own father in that regard.
0: His own father went by the nickname of Mad Jack, which just made me think of Jackie Kennedy's Mm -hmm. father, Jack Black. I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) If somebody has a nickname like that, they're going to be kind of wild, I suppose, is what history tells us. (laughs)
1: Well, maybe even nefarious. He did die when young Byron was only four years old. So his influence was very minimal. Well, his nurture influence was very minimal. His nature influence, i.e. heredity, seems to be strong. Young Byron had inherited both the baronetcy from an uncle and the family estate called Newstead Abbey at the tender age of 10 years
0: old. He had been in school and he was called into the headmaster's office and told that his fraternal uncle had died and that he was next in line to become the sixth Lord Byron. The headmaster and George toasted with a little port and the newest aristocrat was born, I guess.
1: I guess once you're in the House of Lords, that's the drinking age. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And then I have to say, both at home and at school, young Lord Byron was subject to some rather alarming abuses.
0: Catherine had moved to Scotland with her son after
1: her husband had died,
0: and she brought along a nanny who did not treat little George properly.
1: He went to Harrow, not eaten. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. I put not eaten. Oh, did you really? (laughs) Yeah, I did. (laughs) For those of you who don't know why we're laughing, we just got done covering um, Netflix's The Crown over on our other show, The Recappery, and every, I mean, every male human that passes our way except for prince philip seems to have gone to eden (laughs) so we were just laughing so he went to harrow and then on to cambridge uh where he pretty much got what's called the gentleman's c like the i don't care c um it's all about finishing school in the ways of the young bloods with money you know Mm -hmm. he uh began to live quite large speaking of that by the time he was 20 he had run up half a million dollars in modern money of debt. I don't get that. I mean, if you are a tradesman, mm-hmm. just say no credit. Uh, <laughs> easy for me to say. I mean, I don't know. Seems like a guy making shirts, for example, is better off making 20 for respectable middle class guys that pay you with money when you hand them the shirt yeah. than one shirt for a peer who never pays until he's dead in his will. I mean, that that's just me.
0: Well, just think of the exposure that shirt is going to get. <laughs> <laughs>
1: to other guys who aren't going to pay.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, you know what? Maybe it's a hereditary thing. His father had left the country and went to the continent, meaning he moved over to France. He signed his debts over to his young son before he died.
1: Honestly, I would come up with some scenario like making up a fake baby <laughs> 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 beforehand and then like leaving all my debts to the fake baby who's unfortunately um, dead. That's really bad. Okay. I don't know. I don't know what I would do. Well, and I know being a peer was like being the boss and I get it. I just wonder how on earth the debt gets this bad. I just can't fathom it. Well, he spent it on wine, women, and song and men. Honestly, his poor mother, too. All she had left was about 14000 a year in today's money that some lawyers had managed to hide from her husband. Um, I mean, she had a significant amount of capital, but as a woman, she couldn't earn anymore. So she was living on a lot less money than she came to her marriage with. She helped Byron as much as she could, even though her son had fled the country for debt-related reasons, which should be a deja vu. Now, two momentous things happened to him. His mother died... And this epic poem he had written while he was abroad called *Child Harold's Pilgrimage, the first two sections of this anyway, were published. And in Byron's words, he had awoken one morning to find himself famous. And what happens when a young man finds himself famous? Well, let's just say his life grew, his love life, <laughs> grew <laughs> exponentially. More on that later. But he was the toast of the town, the hottest guest to get at any party. But somehow all of this glory hadn't turned to gold. He he literally sent back a thousand pounds that he had made because he thought it was dirty to take money for poetry. You guys come on now. It's art. You can't charge for art. It's a gift to the universe. <laughs> Well, he began to look around and that's where we'll leave him just a moment with married lady lovers feeding him grapes or whatnot and the predators (laughs) waiting outside the door.
0: Ada's mother was an only child born to wealthy aristocratic parents who had, unusual enough for the time, married for love. Lady Milbank, Annabella's mother, had a couple of miscarriages and assumed that giving birth wasn't in the cards for her. So she kind of devoted her life to philanthropy. But at the age of 40, after almost 15 years of marriage, her only child was born. The fact that she survived that birth and that pregnancy blew my mind. The parents were also kind of unusual and that they were both hands-on, were very involved in Annabella's education. Again, very unusual. They wanted her educated as much as possible and got tutors from Cambridge University and wanted to make sure that their very articulate, very intelligent child had this educational basis. So she could bring it into her marriage.
1: So she studied philosophy, languages, literature, science, and math. In addition, although they don't mention this, you know she had to learn the ladylike arts of music and embroidery and whatnot. But all of these other branches of learning, not very common for a woman to learn. She was particularly gifted in math, which of course is supremely unladylike. Later, in fact, when she loved to talk shop with people about it, Her future husband once called her the princess of parallelograms, and he was not being very complimentary, and he was also not a kindred spirit. Well, the business of every young lady in 1812 was to find a husband. I'm sorry to say it all comes down to that. And Annabella hadn't taken, as they say, during her first season. Maybe she wasn't beautiful enough or sophisticated enough for London since she'd been a big fish in her northern country town, but here. I mean, come on now. She's a country cousin, kind of. Um, Also, maybe her personality was too grating. She'd been raised to think well of herself and not be shy about telling people. Yeah, that's
0: true. She did sound like she was very confident. I think we would call it these days, which is a good trait now. (laughs) Yeah, but in
1: 1812, it's kind of a fatal flaw as a lady not to hide your intelligence under a basket, I guess. And so perhaps people were a little intimidated. The main word to describe her, at least in this kind of social situation, is awkward. (laughs) She was pretty religious and kind of rigid as to her morals and society in London, you know, how how shall we say, was loose. It was loose and loose. (laughs) Um, All things were possible in London society. And here she was kind of really strict about moral regulations.
0: Yeah, she really saw the world in black or white. There was no shades in the middle.
1: So here we are, year two. Let's try again. She met Byron, who was now, I mean, don't forget, a famous person at a dance. And from afar, of course, she thought he was a sensitive, misunderstood artist surrounded by people who just didn't understand him. That's an all too common romantic last word, I guess, my friends. Definitely. She went home that night and wrote in her journal. I saw Lord Byron
0: for the first time. His mouth continually betrays the acrimony of his spirit. And it appeared to me that he had tried to control his natural sarcasm as much as he could in order not to offend. But at times his lips thickened with disdain and his eyes rolled impatiently.
1: uh, I picture her as this small town girl, like coming to L.A. and meeting a movie star at some work friend's invitation. Hey, I'm surprised to see you here, famous guy. So he's an actor in this movie, but she's taking him as sincere, which is the plot of every, what, third romantic comedy? Yeah. Second only to, uh, career girl is too busy for love, but falls for her business rival. And woman realizes that her love is the man who's been there all along. (laughs) <laughs> so we have all three. You can just interchange them.
0: Yeah. How about this for a meet cute? They meet at a dance thrown by her cousin, who is also the lover of the man that she's looking at.
1: <laughs> awkward.
0: Not very <laughs> awkward. I don't, I'm pretty sure that Annabella was not aware of that, although everybody else in the room probably was.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess I should add that she was supremely naive um, also and didn't mm-hmm. quite understand the undercurrents. <laughs> <laughs> well, by October... Byron proposed to Annabella, even though he was openly having an affair with that married cousin, Lady Catherine Lamb, who was absolutely obsessed with him and wrote a letter to Annabella warning her off. So (gasps) Annabella said no, but there were still some feelings... Uh, so, she wrote in her journal that Byron was a very bad, good man. It is my duty to reform him. Sure, it was. It's your duty, sure. Uh, they became pen pals for a couple of years. And honestly, I think it's easier to get closer to people that way. Or, you know, today's equivalent would be online friendship, I guess. So, oh, that's like very in keeping with our theme today. So, she had an online friendship. With Byron, who this whole time was carefully pursuing this other wealthy young lady. But at the very end of all of his efforts, so sorry, she has a chance to marry an heir to the Duke of Norfolk. That's the best oldest dukedom around. That's number one Duke. So to be someday number one Duchess in England, I'm taking that. Which left Byron, after all this work, suddenly without a cash cow, which is all this lady was to him in the first place. Because surely you didn't think it was true love, did you?
0: No, but if you're going to have a pen pal wouldn't it be good to have one who's a writer? I mean, his letters must have been very impressive.
1: To her, especially. I think his letters were probably very irritating, but I'm coming at this with um, the perspective of knowing his personality a little better.
0: Right, but she's out there in the country fangirling every time one comes. Like, oh my gosh, he wrote back again.
1: Well, speaking of that, so he looks around after all that wasted effort, and who's right there at the end of a pen? Who's there with money to burn, exactly? So- He proposed again. And this time, Annabella said yes. And they were married in January of 1815. Lord Byron and her $2 million dowry were married. Her parents were not exactly huge
0: fans of this match, but at this point, that was the best offer that she had. So they grudgingly went along with it. Although she, they held up the money as long as possible. Good strategy. I would think so. The marriage actually started off kind of rocky. How's that for putting uh, it delicately? Yeah. <laughs> um, He was grumpy right out of the gate and he would walk around saying things like, it's too late now. It cannot be undone. Now that's exactly what you want to hear on your honeymoon.
1: Well, it's obvious he felt trapped, but imagine your wife's feelings, Bucko.
0: Yeah, during their honeymoon phase, went to visit his half-sister. Now, his half-sister was his father's daughter from a previous marriage. Her mother had died in childbirth. So his half-sister Augusta and Byron were fairly close. Let's use that word. I'm trying to keep this as clean as possible.
1: Well, I'm going to be a little more specific. It slowly dawned on Annabella that her husband had been and still was having an affair with his own half-sister. Was, in probable fact, the biological father of her third child, who is only 10 months old. Huh. <laughs> Though, of course, the sister's husband was the baby's legal father. Society always thought he was the legal father. In fact, he may have thought so. Somehow, it wasn't as shocking in society because they had different mothers instead of different fathers. Is that weird? And they hadn't grown up together, which was the part that people thought was gross. Like if they had grown up together and then ended up together, that's icky.
0: Yeah. I mean, even like Marsha and Greg getting together would have been icky and they have no blood relation.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> and then much less Greg and his mom. Not going to oh, go there. No, I know. That's just wow. Well, let's just say Regency London And the Brady Bunch were both too sophisticated for me. Because (laughs) Annabella and this sister, Augusta, became friends. They did. Even though Annabella knew what was going on. I mean, he was playing them
0: against each other. He'd want to have like a hugging contest between the two of them. (laughs) Okay. But they got close. She didn't blame the sister at all. She liked Augusta. And maybe because they were both in the same boat, you know, loving this, you know, bad boy. Maybe
1: I can't explain it. I I really don't know. I didn't know what to think or do or I just there it is. <laughs> so after about a year of marriage, um, made very stressful by creditors. Yes, creditors, because not only are Mama and Papa holding up that money with the tightest of fists, which is really smart, honestly. Byron had been three million Dollars in modern money in debt. Her dowry wouldn't have covered it anyway. Little Augusta Ada Byron was born, and her father, who had expected and wanted a, quote, glorious boy, called his daughter an instrument of torture. Love to you, Papa. Love to you, too.
0: You know, in addition to that dowry, she had an uncle who conveniently died about this time and made her his heir. But again, that money is tied up. It's not going to come and help pay the bills on this mansion that they're rehabbing in London, which is actually still there, surprisingly. Well, the facade of it is. And it was redone into another mansion. So nothing's paying these bills and they're just spending spending. And now there's a child.
1: Well, whether by Byron's own wish or her own secret plan to run away, accounts do vary over who told who to go or who snuck away in the night. Nobody knows. Annabella took one month old Ada out of Byron's house and fled back to her parents and neither of them would ever see Byron again. At first, they
0: kind of corresponded as if Um, Annabella was going to come back, but after a while she confided in her parents about what was really going on in their marriage and about Byron's relationship with Augusta, who, I don't know that we pointed this out, is actually Ada Lovelace's first name. She was named after Byron's half sister slash pillow mate slash friend of her mom. This is such a soap opera.
1: Well, yes. Um, Also, there was a timely visit from Byron's stalker. I'm sorry, I'm going to say stalker. Lady Caroline Lamb again, who had warned her off marrying him in the first place, who told the horrified Annabella that Byron's relationship with his sister was not a secret. Everyone knew. Everyone was laughing at her for being a naive fool. No one likes to hear that. Also, (laughs) her husband had boyfriends, too. Did you know that? No, no. That she didn't know. Can I please add that Lady Caroline had already tried to kill herself over Byron? I would not have had her in the house at all. <laughs> no. no.
0: Well, they're related. Annabella and Caroline Lamb were relations. They are cousins. Uh,
1: still, modern red flags are going off here. Well, her, her information was good. Well, not good. Her information was true.
0: Now, divorce wasn't an option. Um, Legal separation could be. Divorce was crazy expensive. It could only be initiated by a man. It had to be granted by parliament. And it just wasn't possible given their financial situation. So Annabella promised Byron to not spread any rumors if he granted the legal separation. And he did. And then he left the country for France, just like his dad did. (laughs)
1: I think that is so shocking that unbelievably, unbelievably, his incest with his sister was not illegal. It's shocking, but nobody's going to come after you for it. But his boyfriend activities were very illegal um, and could have gotten him arrested and jailed. And he was in a tough place, I think, because there is that threat hanging out there. And he kind of reluctantly got shoehorned into this agreement For the legal separation, because you know what? The money hadn't gone through. He complained for years that her dowry hadn't been paid. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But now we know what a waster you are. We're not going to throw it down the hole, you know. Yeah. For a five-week marriage.
0: Well, no, it was a year, (laughs) but still.
1: So Annabella quickly um, had her daughter made a ward of Chancery Court. Basically just a modern-day ward of the court to protect her. Because in these matters, usually the father got full custody of a child. So he's been blocked from that not that he wanted the responsibility anyway or made one bit of any effort to object officially to this move or really attempt to see ada at all i mean there's like kind of flapping hands oh if only he didn't even get in a carriage and come to the gate and scream her name or anything like no effort (laughs) was made
0: actually the only stipulation that he had was that Annabella not take ada out of the country that's it that's all he wanted
1: (laughs) well his source of future revenue is gone He was a nationwide scandal (laughs) because of the separation. The creditors were circling. um, He has fled to Europe and that is where he stays. Mm -hmm. He sold his ancestral home
0: to try and get some funds and then he traveled around with his buddies mary and percy shelley in our episode about mary shelley which is number 16a he was the third person in that creative writing challenge to come up with a horror story at lake geneva where frankenstein was born he was the third person in that group and he also had an affair
1: (laughs) with um shelley's stepsister (laughs) So yes, right after the separation, we have two souvenirs of his trip to Switzerland. We have the epic Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. We also have, nine months afterward, another little souvenir, his daughter Allegra. So you see, I'm not sure if he's fine exactly, Um, he's operating just like usual. So let us instead leave him there operating and join Ada and her mama and let's wave bye bye to daddy
0: we before we wave bye bye realize that he did send letters. I mean, it wasn't like he totally cut them off. He sent a couple gifts over the years. He wanted Annabella to make sure that Ada learned about music and it's learned Italian for some reason. That's the language he wanted her to pick up. Um so he wasn't involved and he wasn't a great father and he was really out of the picture, but he did have little occasional shouts across the channel. He would write letters to Augusta and Augusta would pass them on to Annabella.
1: I thought it was funny one time he sent a lock of hair for Ada in a locket and Augusta wrote (laughs) to Annabella like well here's a lump of hair for you um I don't know if you're gonna throw it in the fire or do whatever with it but I'm dutifully sending it on so she even was like I don't know girl (laughs) I thought that was pretty cute like their language I know here here I think Byron thought his sister was you know making his case and all that, but instead it was not that way at all.
0: And the woman who used to be the princess of parallelograms was suddenly the mathematical Medea, which in Greek mythology is a woman who was very vindictive. Let's put it that way.
1: (laughs) Well, my goodness, the drama, the drama. Annabella had firm ideas about what sort of upbringing her daughter would have. Her number one goal, of course, was stamping out or suppressing... Any possible traits she might have inherited from her father's side of the family. Imagination, curiosity, vanity, creativity. You can forget it. Also, she had the unfortunate habit of firing nannies and tutors and governesses anytime she felt like Ada had grown too fond of them. It's very mean. Very mean indeed. Yeah. And when she would fire them and
0: she had a gap, she would take over the instruction. So she was the one that was teaching teaching her the math and the French and not the literature (laughs) and the poetry.
1: There was a definite schedule starting about the age of four of academic homeschooling that lasted nearly all day. I mean, it did include needlework and music, but that is very common for the time. Her mother was strict and humorless, I guess. And evidently Ada was very afraid of her and um, often would be locked in a pantry as punishment for sassing. Note to self, she was in that pantry kind of a lot. Annabella had created this
0: system of tickets to reward Ada for her studies. Um, If she did well, she got a lot of tickets. If she did not, the tickets were given back, which I guess is, you know, that's a modern parenting thing, right? The whole, you know, chore chart. Except potty for chart.
1: if the child doesn't care about the tickets, it doesn't work. I don't know that she really 100% cared about the tickets. What she cared about was, I mean, she wasn't really allowed to play with other children in the neighborhood. Um, Her mother thought that they would probably be bad influences full of creativity and imagination. And she used to get so mad that Ada would make these almost like a mechanical lift devices and marble tracks. Gosh, there was a fad for that when I was in elementary school. You'd make a marble track out of rulers and books in your desk. Um, Yeah. yeah, Ada would do things like that. Uh, Already the science and creativity were merging, but her mother was not a big fan of that kind of thing either and used to kind of disassemble them and take them apart anytime she found them. But She could have fared worse, Ada, because poor old little sister Allegra, the little souvenir, her mother did give her child into Byron's custody. He barely ever saw her. He hired, I'm sorry, randoms to watch her and finally just sent her to a convent to live where she died at five years old. So Ada's life could have been worse had she been sent to live with her father. She may not have even lived. I
0: think Annabella is the most complex character of this entire story. Because she has this kind of mean streak. I mean, putting your kid in a closet. But she also has um, a very, actually creative. I mean, she's creatively educating her daughter, you know, because it's not a time that kids were educated as well as this. So, I don't know. She just has so many sides. I thought she was pretty fascinating. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I hate you so much. You're just such a shrew. And other times I'm like, oh, that was really nice. That was very thoughtful. I didn't know what to think of her. I, I liked it. (laughs)
1: Well, she also has this weird obsession slash denial of love for Papa that is kind of, I don't know, it's almost like she's denying herself a treat by keeping him out of her life kind of thing like her her strength is going to be that she won't let him affect her anymore but he really did affect her she was kind of i don't know kind of obsessed in a different way than his stalker was i am not even sure what ada knew of her father exactly there was a portrait of byron in um her grandmother's house and then later their house covered with this green velvet curtain and ada could walk by it. But she was forbidden from looking behind the curtain, they said, until she was 21. And that's mysterious and weird. <laughs> I totally would have peeked. I mean, mom wasn't around a lot. She was gone. Oh, there was every opportunity to look. If she, <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. And I don't think she ever knew that he had written to her mother. I'm not entirely sure that was passed on.
0: No, I don't know about that. Although later in her education, she was allowed to read his poetry. And much to Annabella's delight, she wasn't interested in it. It didn't keep her curiosity very much. So Annabella's like, Yes. <laughs> Now, you have to remember, Lord Byron is this huge celebrity figure at this point. It's not like he left the country and people forgot about him. I couldn't think of anybody that it was like, but the closest I came to was like Elvis and Lisa Marie Presley. You know, after Priscilla and Lisa Marie were gone, people knew who she was. That's Elvis's daughter. That's Elvis's daughter.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It was kind of like that. That's the closest I could get.
1: No, that's, I think that's a very good um, simile because... Annabella had a big problem with all the publicity that Ada was going to get by being in the world. And that's why she was Mm -hmm. so much alone, I Mm -hmm. think. Well, Ada's father, Elvis, (laughs) died (laughs) when she was only eight. Of the flu, uh, he was off. I mean, this sounds too macho for him, but he was fighting for Greek independence, Um, From the Ottoman Empire. Uh, Okay. And maybe his last words were, maybe, my dear Ada, if only I could have seen her. That's what his valet said. Other reports say it was a string of curse words. So you be the judge.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was a pretty uh, painful death. I mean, he had a super high fever. And when he died, he was brought back to England. There was a campaign to have him buried in the poet's corner at Westminster Abbey, but it was denied and he was buried out by his ancestral home, not on the property, but in the area. Anyway, so he
1: now he's really out of the picture. So Annabella had waited for this event to take Ada to Europe. She'd been afraid, she told everybody, because this is drama, that Byron would have Ada kidnapped and taken who knows where. This is less hysterical than I'd usually say a statement like that was. Mm-hmm. There is some unhinged behavior all over the place. <laughs> yeah, uh, Maybe it was best to wait. But I think it was part of their agreement in the first place that she wouldn't take Ada out of the country. Well, they went off on a grand tour. Uh, Ten-year-old Ada, her governess, and Mama, one year and more of a vacation that opened Ada's mind to art and people and space and time and possibilities. And, of course, after that, Ada went back to a house in the country to continue her education and Mama was mostly gone. What happened around this time, in a case of curiously coincidental
0: timing, is Annabella came into even more money because her parents died, her last parent died, and she was the only heir. So now she has more than enough to keep her and Ada living in whatever style she cared to become accustomed to. (laughs) She was very much into like all these health trends. And so she'd go off and, you know, drink the waters here and go to the spa there and left Ada alone with her tutors and her nannies a lot.
1: Mama was a serious hypochondriac, which requires imagination, doesn't it? And I thought Annabella was totally against that. (laughs) i think all these concepts math i think mathematics
0: requires imagination just to understand it
1: yeah maybe
0: yeah that's what i was thinking
1: so ada thrown upon her own devices sometimes with the governess but sometimes not depending on if the person had been good enough or even too attached to ada you're out it's a very fine line to walk i don't know that many people managed it, and I sort of think that if you're going to have some kind of strict methodology, your ideal education or whatever, maybe you should be on hand to deal with it, Mama. Um, when... Ada's grandparents were still alive. Maybe they were supposed to be the hammer. I don't know. There was a poor nurse that had nursed Ada through chicken pox, had risked her health and her life and spent the night and slept with her head on the child's bed, feeling for her fevers. And the grandma wrote back in glowing terms, like, you have a good one now. And the mama wrote back, you have to fire her. Well, I suppose imagination won't be shut up in the pantry. It is going to find a way out. And Ada found an outlet. She was determined as she said, to fly. Not like a fairy or an angel or storybook flying, mind you, but she was determined that she was going to make a flying machine. She studied the flight of birds. She figured out
0: the mechanics of the flight. She figured out the size and the design and the proportion of the wings. And then she decided that this whole apparatus needed a steam engine to propel it. So there she is designing this plane, essentially. In her mind this was a like a horse's body where you sat in with wings that flew. So it's essentially an airplane. Right, And she's conceiving this idea. And she's writing to her mom about all of her plans. And she's just scrapping an idea because she tested it. She's got pulleys set up in her room to test flight. It blew my mind, the attention to detail that this child was playing. And it also blew Annabella's mind because at some point she said, enough with the flying. And she's not even there by letter. Enough with the flying.
1: Well, I must say, as the parent of a child who has been encouraged in his passions for his whole life, it really hurts me to read a letter in which Ada begged her mother, please, can you find me a nice illustrated bird book so I can... start in earnest. Please. I've been dreaming about this. I feel like I have to study the birds in person to know how big to make the wings. And um, it's the good first step. And I don't want to have to dissect any birds. I know I can do this. I'm anxious to get started. And her mother just writes back that her idea is ridiculous. Um, She didn't even get the bird book or the piece to work on her project. She got instead an expensive math tutor followed by two and a half years of What I'm guessing was polio, although nobody's really sure of exactly what it is. Ada was struck down, paralyzed for part of these years and bedridden. No one seems to know for sure, and how could you? I mean, you know, medical Mm -hmm. diagnoses of the past are very tenuous at best, but um, polio seems to fit. I mean, she could barely even hold a pen that first year. So Mm -hmm. much for her flying experiments.
0: I know. They came crashing down. A
1: lot of sources will tell you that it was measles.
0: You'll see that a lot, but the fact is we you don't know. The symptoms just didn't seem consistent with measles though.
1: Two and a half years of measles? I mean, I don't know because, it, you know, measles is so uncommon now. I am not familiar with the symptoms.
0: You don't get paralysis with measles and it doesn't last that long. At some point, Annabella was thinking that perhaps it was psychosomatic.
1: You know, you'll find awesome. that older biographies will tend to say, seriously, the older you go, mm-hmm. uh, they will say her illness uh, was of a hysterical nature. So insulting, number one. Also, now that I think about it, though, with such a hypochondriac for a mother, she could have been following her example, I guess, to get some attention. But years of inaction during the most energetic time of a person's life, we have all had a child fake illness. And in the morning, we are lethargic, aren't we? But by <laughs> about 1130, if we're not really sick, we're on our phone, we're watching TV, we're wanting to go outside and jump on the trampoline. I mean, truth comes out. <laughs> And I just don't think you could maintain a psychosomatic paralysis for two and a half years. I just don't think so. So what did she do once she got a little better? You know, a year in, maybe after she got some function back, she taught herself German and Latin like you do. She made a working planetarium out of a box. She devoured any book that came to her, all the things she could possibly do to keep her busy mind occupied. So she used her time well. Well, let's leave 14-year-old Ada in bed. And when we come back, we will rejoin 16-year-old Ada for the next chapter of her life. We are back. We have time traveled to Ada's graduation from first her wheelchair to crutches. And now she's using a walking stick. She is a young lady now with curly dark hair and giant eyes. Not conventionally pretty, exactly. Probably also extraordinarily pale from anemia because Mama believed in bloodletting. A lot. Well, people who met her... Uh, during this time period, described her as intriguing. And I am very glad to learn that Mama has increased her circle somewhat. Ada's, I mean, she has some friends her own age now. What? Not very many, you know, (laughs) and everything. But she knows some people that are the same age as she. But Mama has these three friends of hers who've taken up residence. Ada called them the Three
0: Furies. They were three of her mother's spinster friends whose job was the homeschool equivalent of a finishing school. They kind of micromanaged all the details of Ada's education and making sure that she knew everything that she needed to know domestically to get married. Because that is still, even though she's getting this unbelievable education, the goal is to have her be a well-rounded person to marry someone else that's
1: the goal oh my gosh they were so uh, on her at all times they were always there unlike mama you know ada had gotten used to a little bit of a like you know servants are one thing but ultimately you're their boss right even if you're the kid mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) But, but now she is like uh it goes from you know working on your own to having three micromanagers and i can assure you it is not a good feeling
0: One is bad enough. Imagine three. But as a testament to her creativity and ingenuity, somehow she managed to have an actual affair with one of her tutors, not in conventional sense affair, but right up to that point. I'm trying to be delicate.
1: Well, and it almost ruined her reputation. I think there was something the household wanted covered up. I hope it was this. Honestly, I do hope it was this because I don't know what to make of the fact that Ada refused to sleep in a bed for a few years. Like she'd fall asleep on the floor in a blanket or on a sofa. Can you make anything of that? I Mm -hmm. I had hoped sincerely that there might not have been An incident. Her mother had had these prominent men over to discuss religion and philosophy with Ada probably the most illogical subject she was ever allowed to study. The same Cambridge professor that had taught Mama in her youth was there. And other people, I just I mean, it could be nothing. The whole bed thing could just be like, I was sick of being in bed for years. It's uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't want to go
1: back there either.
0: She's That's not a fun place. But yeah, it is very peculiar, isn't it?
1: It's eccentric. In a way, you can only be eccentric if you have a lot of money. But otherwise, it's super weird.
0: But she actually managed to almost elope with this man um, before before she was hauled back home, I've given her points for this. I mean, it would have been bad, but
1: she's creative, that's for sure. So, Mama is a realist. If this sort of thing is going to start happening, you know, having a scientific mind is fabulous. Being a mathematician, that's a fine hobby. But a young lady in the 1830s, especially if we're starting all this up, needs a husband, preferably. A titled nobleman, or at least someone with an old established family. <laughs> and I started to <laughs> laugh, thinking, Mama, that did not work so well for you because yeah. Byron was a member of the House of Lords. The first Baron Byron was made so in 1643. Uh, she had a year. She wanted the the uh, title to have
0: been in the family at least 100 years. That's quite a box to check off.
1: I'm just saying. Further qualifications needed. <laughs> well, anyway, the Honorable Augusta Ada Byron was presented at court to King William IV and Queen Adelaide when she was 17. And they had made some special accommodations for her so she didn't have to wait. I mean, plenty of ladies fainted in their fancy feathers. But Ada went right in, which makes me think that she may have still been using her walking stick or looking very ill um, or known to be delicate, as they say, or, in fact, famous. Maybe she got to the head of the line for being a VIP. I'm not sure. People could not wait to get their eyes on the famous Ada of the poetry wars, of the the great scandal of 1816. It was very exciting. Well, she did wear white satin and tulle. Well, most of her fellow debutantes of that season were probably looking forward to, you know, the season, being giddy and dancing and flirting and wearing out your slippers and they're out of the schoolroom and into the real world. At last, life is worth living. I'm going to drink champagne until I fall over, you know. Ada, although that was... Fun, was more impressed by this group of scientists that she met at a party a few weeks after her presentation in particular with one Charles Babbage and his amazing difference engine. Now if you're going to tinker it helps to be fabulously almost unimaginably rich doesn't it? Yes. Charles Babbage had a personal fortune of about 10 million dollars and on top of that Mr. Babbage had received grants from the British government to the tune of about 17 and a half million more dollars and if you think other scientists and inventors weren't mad about this, you'd be wrong. But nevertheless, personally, everyone loved Charles Babbage. He is their pet eccentric also a very jovial guy. He was invited to the best places. He knew all the best people. So this is not any sort of outcast in any way, personally and background wise, he was accepted. Ada was quite impressed
0: by him and he paid her attention. He talked to her and he talked to her about things that she loved, you know, these mathematics and these theories that nobody else was talking to her about out in society. So she was immediately drawn to him. He was 42. He was a widower. She was 17 and the two of them became very, very good friends very quickly.
1: I'm almost thinking it's like when one theater nerd meets another theater nerd and all of a sudden you're quoting lines from Broadway and everybody (laughs) around you is like, get me another martini, please. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and they're kind of like dreading that they're sitting with you. I have a feeling it was like that, like the world disappeared around Mm -hmm. them. Now, uh, Mama could follow along quite well. I mean, the princess of parallelograms is no slouch when it comes to math. So it wasn't like um, it was just Babbage and Ada alone in a bubble. But the thing is, he had this machine, this exciting new machine that he called a difference engine. And (laughs) science people, please do not kill me now. (laughs) Um, I'm going to simplify what it is. It is sort of a steampunk calculator. One of the expensive calculators with extra functions, but as it's the eighteen thirties, instead of chips and plastic, it's made out of thousands of meticulously hand carved cogwheels, like gears. They're just placed perfectly to do addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division, yes, but Also, it could raise numbers to the power of three. It could extract the root of a quadratic equation, which is to say more math than I have in me anymore. This wasn't
0: the first adding machine that was ever invented. That was done in 1642 by Blaise Pascal. So he's not creating a new wheel. He's just improving upon it.
1: Well, and and unlike all of its predecessors, and there were a few, Mm -hmm. even after Pascal's, this one worked. (laughs) What? (laughs) But once you set it going, it worked with no further human intervention other than turning a crank. It accounted for all the variables. It was accurate. And heck, there was no reason not to just fit the handle with a little steam engine, if that was what you were concerned about, to turn the crank and dispense with a man entirely. The whole point of this machine was to break down these giant calculations that people were having to do, um, especially in navigation and mapping, into these tiny parts and then just crank them out into little ones over and over and over and over and over and over because a machine can't get bored or tired. And a machine doesn't make a mistake. That is, if the whole thing would ever get built. (laughs) So far, all of this money had been spent on constructing what was just about a seventh of the final product. And the government was interested in this project, mostly for the Navy. And so all their money had been paid out for a thing that wasn't ready after 10 years. <laughs> and worse still, since there was no more money coming from that source, Babbage had decided not to pay his workmen until he got paid, which, yeah, you can just hold on if you're backed by infinite capital, Babbage, but the workmen cannot. And they rebelled, and I don't blame them. And their leader, to ensure that they wouldn't be replaced by scabs, took all the plans and tools to build the rest of the machine with him, and they all had stopped work. Dun-dun-dun! Even deeper, and maybe more fatal to this project, Babbage himself had had a breakthrough. And when he was now convinced that he needed to go a different way entirely, with a whole different machine altogether, called the Analytical Engine. And he was making his own expensive, not completed machine, obsolete, but only in his head. Well... (laughs) Oh man, scientist man. The reason it had taken so long was that he was tinkering with things in progress. You know, like, man, when I used to do design work and clients would come mid-project, I'd be like, oh no, oh no. Because then, sure enough, you're derailed. You have to start something over. But Mm -hmm. he was doing it to himself. Well, there's so many working parts in this that he has to
0: understand how the mechanics of them So just that discovery phase takes a long time. He did set the one-seventh of the machine up in his house and had people come over. It was quite a parlor oddity. And Ada and her mom were two of those people. It wasn't like just the two of them. Groups of people went over to see how this machine worked. And she was even more fascinated by it when she saw it.
1: Yeah, we'll have to show you some pictures. It still exists. It's in a museum. Um, You can visit it if that's uh, something you have a mind to. Annabella even was duly impressed. She didn't fully understand it, I don't think. She called it a thinking machine, which was pretty radical. I'm kind of freaked out, actually, by the origin story of Babbage's fascination with machines at all. He had when a little boy seen this guy who called himself Merlin for the simple reason that his name was actually Merlin, which I can't (laughs) believe. Which is true. It's like John Merlin or something, you know. So here's Merlin, predestined to be a magician, um, making these automatons shaped like people who could do things like curtsy and smell of flower and things. Marie Antoinette had one of these too. And they are not refreshing to me. They upset me (laughs) (laughs) I don't like them. (laughs) Oh, you think they're creepy? They're so, so creepy. (laughs) Good to know. Yeah, they're so creepy. But anyway, so that's how he got interested in machinery with, you know, that amazing introduction. But um, Annabella said above his machine, I had but faint glimpses of the principles by which it worked. Babbage said it had given him notions with respect to general mathematical laws, which were never before presented to his mind. See, that's good. And Annabella understands it. Annabella understands it. But Ada
0: really understands it. Not only is she getting a grasp of the mechanics of the machine, which is pretty much Babbage's focus, but she's seeing the way that it can be used in the future. She's kind of looking more creatively at the whole thing and saying, oh, it could do this. Whereas Babbage is just concerned with making it work.
1: Yeah, in Ada, I have to say it was Thunderbolt City. Thunderbolt City! (laughs) Um, She saw this machine not purely as just numbers, but numbers that stood for things, formulas that might apply to the world outside. It's so radical for the time we are so jaded with technology and the real-world applications of it that it's hard for us to understand how radical this is, numbers that stand for random other things. The closest I could even get is maybe, do you remember how amazed briefly you were when Pokemon Go came out? Like a game that crosses into the real world? (laughs) I I mean, multiply that by a thousand or a hundred, like how radical that concept might be. I mean, we're all jaded about Pokemon Go now, such as the pace of technology. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, she was lit up. She was on fire. Uh, But oh my, ladies have to keep lit up and on fire inside, right? And she cleverly tricked, question mark, convinced her mother (laughs) that she was in need of further study of mathematics to keep from falling into that dreaded vortex called imagination this is how her <laughs> manipulation goes ready uh, remember her mother is very um you know, religious and also not interested in imagination. So, I must cease to think of living for pleasure or self-gratification and there is but one sort of excitement if indeed it can be called by that name which I think allowable for me at present that is to say, study and intellectual improvement. I find that nothing but very close and intense application to subjects of a scientific nature now seems the only thing to keep my imagination from running wild. It must stop up the void which seems to be left in my mind for want of excitement well we have a very intelligent young woman here who knows how her mother works
0: if she can figure out
1: how this um, machine works she certainly knows how her mother works good job it worked So uh, Babbage, though, was moving on to his analytical engine, but he thought this was going to solve several problems with the old machine. I say old machine, the machine that's not even fully built yet. Um, (laughs) One thing that I could understand, I would like to preface all of the following commentary by saying I try to understand. There's only so far you can go without falling into a vortex of of
0: (laughs) non-imagination. And Um, you can go way farther than I can because I describe the machine as cogs, pins, balls, and tunnels.
1: Oh, well, there you go. That's good. Well, so he saw that there were two major problems with the old machine. And now the rounding of decimals. And I thought, what, who cares? Okay, but get this. Do you remember when you were in, is it fourth or fifth grade where you have to sort of understand that fractions and decimals are sort of saying the same thing and it kind of blows your mind? Well, one third seems nice and complete, but in decimals, that is 0.33333 ad infinitum. You're never going to get to the end of the threes, (laughs) but you are going to get to the end of the gears. (laughs) You know, Yeah. so that will automatically insert an error right? I mean, that is, and and it may not make any difference in one calculation, but you know, these machines are supposed to crunch a lot of numbers. So one little error can compound and compound until what you're left with at the end is not useful. So this machine was going to fix that problem. And also he didn't like how you had to hand reset the machine for each calculation. Like that's, A human intervention and he wanted to avoid that. Well, he solved the first thing by having one part of his new machine kind of pass on parts of its calculations to another part of the machine for storage until it was ready to come back. Interesting. And Mm -hmm. he solved the second one by using punched cards in a string to tell the computer what to do instead of having to reset every time. And he borrowed this from weavers. In particular, there was a loom called a jacquard loom. And um, what used to happen, jacquard is like woven in a pattern, like you might have flowers that appear. It's not printed, it's woven in. What used to happen is a guy literally had to stand up on top of this loom and with things like not even piano keys, like organ keys, those big long things, you know, he would have to hand push down and pull up on different things to get the pattern. And that was really a freaking waste of time, right? And it was pretty slow. And over time, Mr. Jacquard made a loom where punched cards would prevent certain bars from being pushed down at each pass of the shuttle. Mm Mm-hmm. So, it could do
0: what man did better and faster and more accurately. There's no mistakes with these punch cards, but they could have up to 24,000 punch cards to operate the machine. What Jacquard did is set up his loom, and had it create a portrait of him. There's copies that still exist. It's like 20 by 14 inches. It's not very big, but it's him sitting in his study. Some of these punch cards are on the table. There's things around, and it's very detailed. It looks like an etching, and Babbage was fascinated by this, but he has to get his hands on one of these portraits. He needs to find it. And it's in France and he's got to find somebody that can get it. And not a lot of them were being made. So this is a time consuming process just to get the example
1: in his hand. And that's not even how the machine operates. That's just the finished product.
0: That's why it took 10 years.
1: Babbage adapted the concept of the Jacquard loom to his own machine, but instead of one continuous string, he felt like he had to have three different kinds of cards to tell the machine three different things. There were operation cards. What to do with the number? When you get it, right? There are variable cards. Where do we find such numbers that we want? And then there were number cards, like what number are we using in the first place? That is starting to sound very familiar to me, (laughs) actually. (laughs) I am comprehending that entirely. Let's leave Babbage and his miraculous theoretical machine for a second and find out what is happening in the world of Ada. She is corresponding with Mr. Babbage about his new theoretical machine, for sure. Let's call that her online life and her internet (laughs) friend for relativity's sake. But real life was waiting, and Mama had decided that 19 was a good age for marriage.
0: So she sent the feelers out among the people. That's how people met. They were introduced by somebody else. And she was invited to a party where 19-year-old Ada met 30-year-old William King, the eighth Baron King. His title was created over 100 years before. He was extremely wealthy. He owned several properties. He was quite handsome. He was very intelligent. They seemed to have similar interests. So this is like checking off all those boxes for Annabella, for sure. And Ada is pretty interested in him as well. But Annabella thinks that she needs to come clean before anything goes farther. And she has Ada tell William about the affair with the tutor. This is something I did not
1: understand. Why does it matter? The only thing I could think of is that maybe Annabella was afraid of another scandal. And so if William was going to kick up objections, it's best that it happened now Mm -hmm. and not when it was, quote, too late, when they were already married.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. So if somebody had shown the dark corners to Annabella realistically before she married Byron, she may not have is that what she's thinking?
1: Uh, No, I was thinking she didn't want the Byron name dragged through yet another thing. So if William was going to be objecting, if, if anyone like Lady Caroline Lamb ever got a hold of that little mm. tutor information and decided to blibbity blabbity around the party, if her husband already knew, it would just die there. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it was something that shocked him that he was embarrassed by, it it might come back to bite Ada in the hiney. Oh, OK. I OK, now I get it. I mean, that obviously, he didn't care because uh, uh, it went forward. And I don't want anyone to think that Ada was reluctant. I mean, you know, you're brought up from birth as a girl in this time to know your eventual fate is to be somebody's wife. And you might not know them very well. And it will probably be your parents' choice. She wrote him a letter that says this to William her future husband. I do not think there can be any earthly pleasure equal to that of reposing perfect trust and confidence in another, more especially when that other is to be one's husband. I hope, my dear William, that I shall make you a very affectionate and very conscientious wife and shall fulfill all my duties towards you and towards your family in such a manner as to make you the only return I can make for all I owe you, that I must take care to keep the remembrance of it in my head. She did get married less than uh, three months after meeting him in the first place.
0: (laughs) The two were married in July of that same year, just less than three months.
1: And Ada tried to keep the marriage as quiet
0: as possible. Ada and Annabella, they didn't want the news getting out because again, she's like a celebrity because of her father. So if the news had spread, there would be more attention to it. That is not what Annabella wants. She spent her whole life keeping that attention off of her daughter. She wants to continue.
1: I sort of wondered, if Babbage should have been the guy, I mean, no insult to well, um, who was a fine, handsome gentleman, etc. But Babbage and Ada got along together so well. He certainly had money. He was 100% acceptable everywhere the elite were found. But Mama had her sights set on a title. I mean, the 25-year mm-hmm. age difference was absolutely nothing in 1830. I'll tell you that right now. It's just the title thing, and I, I just, I just wonder what might have been had. Babbage been the man, you know? And I also (laughs) wonder, no evidence of this but my own mind, please don't take this for fact, but it seemed to me that Mama expected that Babbage would have sour grapes about Ada getting married because she seemed surprised that Babbage didn't, quote, cut Ada after her marriage. He didn't. He was a frequent guest and even more frequent correspondent. He didn't cut her at all, meaning, you know, stop talking to her. But Mama seemed surprised by that. So it kind of made me wonder if he had thrown his hat in the ring. Well, speaking of wives and husbands, Ada got down to the business of producing children, as society expected, of course. (laughs) Within a year, boom, the heir, little Byron... Then a sister, little Annabella, so original with the naming conventions. I know. Um, now, hey, a little name change comes about. The king died and his niece, Victoria, became queen. Long live the queen when Ada was 21. And as part of a sort of wave that swept everyone upward, I guess, um, William King, her husband, went from Baron of Ockham to Viscount Ockham, and then he was given the title the Earl of Lovelace. It goes Duke, Marcus, Earl, Viscount, Baron. So you use your highest title. So Ada was now Lady King, Countess of Lovelace, a title that was actually hauled out of retirement from Ada's mother's family 100 years ago. So it's more Ada's than her husband's, really. (laughs) But we don't call her Lady King or Ada King or even Ada herself after this signed her name Ada Lovelace. And so here we are.
0: It's such a great name. Yeah. And it's not, you know, Marie or Julia or Catherine. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) She did have a third child, little Rafe, and that was three children in four years. And she considered herself done in that Department.
1: And maybe even indeed for romance at all, Um, at least with her husband, because it seems around this time that Ada was getting frustrated at her husband for being sort of aimless. I mean, amiable, you know unthreatened by her intelligence. Honestly, that's pretty much a win for this time period. But always kind of just messing around, always underfoot, she wrote to somebody like somebody give him something to do. Also, her husband and her mama were BFFs and interfered in every facet of her dang life. They were all up in her business at every moment of the day. Well, ada was going to give herself something to do how about that this is probably
0: a good time to take a break and when we come back we'll find out what that something to do is
1: back. Ada is determined to jump into the deep end of mathematics. So don't get me wrong here. She still fulfilled all the social obligations that a countess might be expected to. So you've got the season, country houses, travel, guests, social calls. However as a woman of means, and this is a very privileged position, I think there's maybe 5,000 people in society. then mm-hmm. at the time, she could arrange her days as she wished, to a certain extent, you know, like, there will be two hours when I will not be disturbed in the afternoon.
0: Right. Yes. There's a, the population of London was a million and only 5,000 participated in, you know, the society that debuts and the presenting to the court and all that. 5,000. The
1: 5,000. <laughs> Well, what Ada wanted with her two hours was to be deeply involved with Babbage's new invention. But he seemed to be not taking her seriously about that. So she started out slowly with a letter like this. And she's so good at, although I hate that she has to do it, being sort of humble and um, coming at it from the back end. It strikes me that at some future time, it might even be within three or four years, or it might be many years hence. My head might be made by you subservient to some of your purposes and plans. If so, if ever I could be worthy or capable of being used by you, my head will be yours. Oh, not right now. I mean, when I'm worthy. Just keep me in the back of your mind. Like She really wanted to help him, though. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, she's pretty
0: strategic, and she realizes that that's the only way in. So she asks him for suggestions on tutors so that she can be tutored and continue her mathematics education.
1: The gentleman that she got hooked up with was Augustus DeMorgan. So she went on without Babbage, studying with Mr. DeMorgan, who was a prominent mathematician, and she pushed him to the point that he wrote an alarmed letter to her husband. Now, this is not a child. This is an adult married woman. Anyway, he was appalled. Some excerpts from his letter. She's trying to push the boundaries of known mathematics. Surely for a woman, this is ill-advised. These difficulties of thought are far beyond a woman's strength. Surely you'd have her stop her studies. And then her husband's like, carry on, her lord and master says. It hasn't broken her yet. Good for him, though. (laughs) Somewhat in the same vein, actually, Babbage had given some talks about his analytical engine over in Italy. And an engineer at the conference in the audience, one Luigi Federico Menabrea, was inspired and encouraged to write a paper about the engine, its um, construction, its operation. Um, I think the number worldwide who could understand a tenth of all this was very small let me just say. And Charles Babbage was delighted with the work. He, you know, you, if you meet one person that is in your little minuscule niche of whatever subject, you're so excited. And this guy spent a lot of time writing this paper about Charles Babbage's work. And he was very excited with it, which he, he planned to shop this around for maybe more funding, because it's hard to get people excited exactly without a working model. This is just the thing, old boy. This is just the thing. But he had had another of this rare breed in front of his freaking face this whole time and had never wanted her help. I'm just saying. So Ada decided after the paper was published in French. Now... Did you read that it was a surprise for Babbage because some people say that Babbage asked her to translate Mm -hmm. it for him? I was under the impression that in the spirit of more help, she decided to translate it on her own. I found exactly the same thing. I think she started to translate it on
0: her own and then he caught wind of it and was impressed with her drive and said, oh yeah,
1: that's a great idea. (laughs) Well, because I'm just not sure how many people ever got a hold of the Swiss technical journal it was first published in. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like this is going to make it accessible and get it in front of people which is what he's gonna need and then he asked her I am still baffled by this question why didn't you write your own paper surely you know more about this than a random engineer in Italy ah because my whole life everyone told me to be feminine and Not get into the man business? (laughs) Like uh, why do you think every time I'm tart or raised up in any way, people say I'm not ladylike? People micromanage my existence. Like, why didn't I write a paper? It never occurred to me is why.
0: I why would he ask her that? Because I think he realized that she understood all the concepts of it better than anyone, because she had that combination brain that could think creatively and understood all the mechanics and the mathematics of it.
1: Did it take him this long, though? You know what? Like I said earlier, romantic comedies all over the place are based on not seeing right what's right in front of your nose. Yeah, that's right. Did it
0: take him this long? Um, I think he maybe he worked up to it. And I think that the work she did and the translation impressed him so much that he had an epiphany. That's okay. my theory.
1: That's the theory I'm going with. Well, he encouraged her to write some notes after the translation, you know, annotate, perhaps, to maybe explain some finer points in what he called the memoir, which was the original work. And so she did. And her notes are considerably longer than the original source material, just like our recappery episodes. <laughs> oh my gosh, I wrote that down. <laughs> we I We understand
0: how this can happen.
1: <laughs> Once you're on a roll, Ada, the original work was 8,000 words. Ada's notes come to about 20,000 words. (laughs) There are seven of these things called notes by the translator labeled A through G. And there are many passages I don't understand. Or more accurately, I haven't taken the trouble to understand. We can give you a rabbit hole to fall down, I assure you, if technical explanations are your thing. I just don't 100% think that's our point here. No, that would never be
0: my point. Ever.
1: (laughs) There are assertions, you know, about properties of numbers and operations and processes that I'm going to leave you guys to discover. So, you know, those are impressive enough, mind you. But it is more of a big picture view of Ada's that was revolutionary. Her point, I guess, is if operations, which means the actions that you perform upon the numbers, can be separated from the numbers, well, then the numbers can be replaced by anything. Musical notes, say then the machine could produce music instead of numerical solutions. Um, if you replace the numbers with colors, maybe it could produce art. Numbers in Ada's mind could express everything about the world. That's what you get when you focus on logic instead of poetry, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> and I see her point. I do see her point. And we see her point, too. You can look at a picture on a computer because the colors have been translated to numbers. It's revolutionary. She had been inspired in that thought by that portrait of Mr. Jacquard that we mentioned earlier that Babbage had floating around as a party trick. (laughs) Which is exactly how he used it. Um, You know, patterns... On punch cards became another dimension of thing after rolling it through a machine. She said the analytical engine weaves algebraical patterns just as the jacquard loom weaves flowers and leaves. That seems completely radical and I almost think it is a very poetic way to look At his machine a way that he didn't look at it. He kind Mm -hmm. of looked at it like this machine will serve man. It'll take the pressure off him like an infinite servant that never gets tired. But she believed it could kind of transcend that function and become Mm -hmm. something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As well as understanding the
0: mechanics of it. Correct. So she knew way more about his machine than he ever
1: could. Well, it is note G that has made her famous, her algorithm to deal with this series of numbers called Bernoulli numbers. It's just a series of numbers following a certain pattern that sort of pops up throughout number theory. I assure you, you and I don't have to know it. (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully, I did try to look at it and
0: figure it out. And I was like, "Uh," because then I read somewhere, she's like, it could have been anything. It could have been any." number. It could have been any equation. She just happened to pick that one.
1: Well, an algorithm, let's define that, is a process or a set of rules to be followed in calculations. That's it, really. In this case, this is widely regarded as the very first computer program. Old note G. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Although it's only a theoretical one since, unfortunately, the analytical engine was never to be built. So there is and has been and ever shall be some controversy here, whether Babbage was the one that did this or Ada. And my goodness, can you follow the controversy throughout the ages?
0: Personally, I'm going with his autobiography where he said, you know, years later that she's the one that did the bulk of the work. That was her project. He helped her with things. He helped her critique it. He fine tuned some things. He did some calculations so she didn't have to. But the ideas of behind it were all hers.
1: And you know what? I would take that as fact. He mm-hmm. was there. He doesn't have to be generous to an untutored woman assistant. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? He doesn't right, have exactly. to be. Yeah. So, um, so yes. How about that? How about them apples, doubters and scoffers? <laughs> <laughs> we're going to go with Ada equals algorithm. And equals note G, the end. That's right. Um, (laughs) And it was, the thing was, it was published.
0: Other people could have created this, but hers was the first one to be published in 1843. That's the thing that she did that's so amazing.
1: Now, the true meaning of this, of course, would not even be understood until, you know, the 1940s and 1950s. And her contribution when it came out was very respectfully received. But as there were no practical applications to this, <laughs> there's no computers, you know, will not be computers. Uh, the the kind of groundbreaking nature of Note G was not understood for almost a 100 years. So Ada was very proud of her contribution. Ada often swung between supreme overconfidence and even braggadocio use that (laughs) word in a sentence today would you um like she would say things like this is a famous letter that she wrote that brain of mine is something more than merely mortal as time will show before 10 years are over the devil's in it if I haven't sucked out some of the lifeblood of the universe. No one knows what awful energy and power lie yet undeveloped in that very little system of mine. Like (laughs) if she had been a man, I'm just telling you, and able to run freely with her concepts (laughs) and been accepted for her radical notions, what could have happened? Yeah. And I
0: think that was her. I think that was what her personality was more like, not the well, maybe someday if I can help you out in the littlest way, all that. I don't think that was her at all.
1: Well, think- Scarlett O'Hara has a fine series of ancestresses. I'm telling That's you right now. <laughs> when your only tool is, you know, manipulation, I think early you learn to manipulate if you're mm-hmm. smart, that if, if it's incorrect to show your intelligence, you have to learn a workaround, I guess. Right, right, right. And if you can't show temper... <laughs> You learn to channel it in other ways, maybe. Well, um, Babbage, during publication, wanted to put with the translation and her notes a rant against all those who hadn't supported his ideas or his machine and blah, 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 but he wasn't going to sign it. (laughs) And Ada objected because it would look like it came from her. That's not cool. And so when she objected and the publisher, frankly, said he had to sign it too. He said, then Ada, you have to pull that. We're not publishing it. And she put her foot down. Call And I'm not sure if this whole putting her foot down or refusing to take his direction, I don't know if it made him angry, or maybe he wanted to take the project back for himself. I mean, not meanly, just like, you know, I don't really need a partner. I just want to move on. Because a further offer from Ada to do what we would now call PR, I guess, fundraising, she had offered in a very long letter that she and William, so she always included her husband, that was nice, um, Mm -hmm. would help him, like basically try to help get the analytical engine built. And he rejected that outright, that whole offer. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, that was harsh. I mean, she was willing to do anything, you know, paperwork or write more findings that he, you know, his work, write them up, you know, talk to people. She was willing to do anything and she put it out there and he was like, nope, nope, don't need it.
1: I know he wrote on top of that letter um, in his handwriting, it just says declined all conditions. Okay, dokie. I mean, I don't think he was a bad guy or I just don't know if she deeply offended him or she wasn't tactful enough, which is definitely in character, um, mm-hmm. because she mentioned in her note how he wasn't that guy and how he often put people off and this and that. And nobody likes to hear that. So maybe he was like, bye. They did stay friends, though. So they're both big in that regard. But Ada started to fall apart a little bit. A What she thought was a stomach problem, she called it gastritis, um, led her doctors to prescribe laudanum, which you know, of course, is opium. Also common enough that anybody could go in and buy it over the counter for pennies. It's not even that rare of a medication. But the laudanum made her so sleepy that she counteracted this with Something the doctors at the time considered a stimulant, but I don't. Copious amounts of brandy? (laughs) If I went over there right now and I drank copious amounts of brandy, I'm not going to be up and at them. Nope.
0: I put brandy in my hot toddies and I can barely get up off the couch.
1: (laughs) Well, let's just say that the laudanum plus... Now, keep in mind, both the laudanum and the brandy were prescribed by doctors. We have often talked about our disdain for 18th and 19th century medicine. <laughs> there you go. Well, this led to some very remarkable behavior. Or perhaps there was an underlying mental issue, or perhaps she was just unfulfilled and depressed. It could be any number of these things, but she kind of became a different sort of person. One of the things that she did
0: is she tried to mathematically come up with some formulas to play the horse races, and she started gambling. She started betting on horse races, and she lost a lot. But at that point, because of the change in her personality, she just kept going and the debts just kept piling up and piling up and her health kept deteriorating.
1: I think in today's money, she was $300,000 down in debt and... I'd have stopped way before that. Again, I'm not hopped up on laudanum and brandy, but to conceal it from her husband, she had pawned some family jewels. So it got way deeper than her husband had realized before he was able to um, step in and stop it. Also, her grooming started to suffer. She got very flirty and there were possible affairs, definite flirtations, open flirtations. She got kind of a reputation for being alternately a hermit, And a social butterfly. And she was very often very sick. I often think... The medicine of the time did more harm than good. I don't know exactly what is happening here. I think she was disappointed professionally, um, in addition to feeling not very good. I just also just keep getting this feeling that if only Ada and Babbage had been a thing, they would have been a giant powerhouse. Because think about that note, that PR note. I will handle everything. I will get you know the queen to listen or whatever it is. You mm-hmm. know she has the power to get the queen to listen. By the way, because I think a queen would listen to a lady better than some strange man coming to tell her what to do. Anyway. That's it's just mm. me.
0: No, I agree. I agree. I mean, she and Babbage, I mean, they had that little falling out, but then they kept in contact. They went together to the great exhibition um, that was held in the Crystal Palace. It was a showplace for innovation. They went to it together because they had this shared interest. I agree. If It had got been them that got married. Well,
1: well and just back to done. that PR thing. If a wife feels like that, that's a different thing. If your wife says, I will handle this, then I bet he would have let her. We could have had a computer 100 years ago before mm-hmm. this happened. Well, anyway, At the tender age of 35, Ada's health began to fail in earnest. In the extreme, she was in more and more serious physical pain from what would turn out to be uterine and ovarian cancer. She wrote, I find that one's whole being can become one... Living agony. What a painful death. Even in her letters at this time, she's
0: obviously in a lot of pain, but she's trying to conceal it from her children and her mother as much as possible. Although her mother was close by and she came to the house and she saw exactly what was going on with her, but she was trying to conceal it from them. I don't know, is that
1: sad or is that good? I mean, why worry the kids? It's kind of noble, I guess. Um, You know, one by one, her friends were excluded from visiting. I think maybe she wanted to leave them with a good last memory of her? Maybe. Well, and also,
0: Annabella was kind of controlling who was going in to see her. Right. So I don't know how much that played in it. Although she did let Charles Dickens in to read to her towards the end of her life.
1: Yeah. Charles Dickens ran with the same society. Keep in mind, it's a small little circle, but Dickens was in there. Uh, He came to read her a scene from one of her favorites of his books, Dombey and Son, which is actually not one of the more common Charles Dickens works read today i'd say we all know a christmas carol right and oliver mm-hmm. twist and i don't know those are probably the two big ones <laughs> yeah because i'm like what else oh well you know uh, the, but dombey and son isn't one of the ones that rises to the top for me i guess mm-hmm. well she confessed something to her husband that made him leave and not come back for a couple of months did you read that too I did. It
0: was very strange. And he told everyone that in his absence, Annabella was in charge. So not even his wife. So yeah, that was interesting. There's a lot of speculation. You know, maybe she had an affair with Babbage and she told him, but she was acting weird at this time anyway. So it could have been anything. I guess if you're writing the movie where you don't have to stick to the facts, this could be a nice, interesting plot twist right here.
1: (laughs) Or you could do that lost in translation thing where she whispers in his ear, he looks shocked and walks away. The end. Nobody. Ever knows what? Yeah. <laughs> Which is actually what really happened because yeah. we don't know. <laughs> well, Ada died on November 27th, 1852, after at least a year and a half of absolute grievous pain that could not be relieved by the medicine of the day. And she was buried at her own request in the vault in a small village near Lord Byron's old ancestral home, nestled next to her. Papa. Neither her mother nor Babbage attended her funeral. So that ends the life of Ada Lovelace. And obviously, we're going to talk about her legacy, uh, which slept dormant until about the 1940s. You know, computer science is picking back up. Alan Turing, in particular, Ada had posited that computers will never be able to think for themselves. They can only—she didn't use the word computer, by the way, thinking machine—that <laughs> um, those kind of machines could only process what humans put in. They would never be able to think for themselves themselves. And famously, Turing disagreed with her. And there is a famous test now called the Turing test, where people are placed in front of a computer program to see if they think it's a person on the other end or a computer. And the goal is to get this artificial intelligence to the point where you can't tell if it's a human or if it's a computer on the other end.
0: There could be such good applications for that, but all they use it for is telemarketing. Because you have those conversations. Hey, this is Betsy. How are you today? Oh, I'm fine. You know, it's not even a real person. You can go on a while.
1: But then you hear or you used to hear right between when they answered you back. and You're like, oh, Oh, yeah, no,
0: no, you don't anymore. Mm -hmm. I've had some but you have to ask them like abstract questions that they can't answer. And then they repeat the same thing. I can't really answer that for you. And then you ask them something. I can't really answer that for you. Oh,
1: oh, that's funny. So in the late 1970s, the U.S. Department of Defense needed a sort of Esperanto, uh, one computer language to rule them all, and they named it Ada. After Ada Lovelace, it is still used in air traffic control to run satellites, um, banking, many other things. So an homage to Ada really does touch your everyday life, even now. Ada Lovelace Day is the second Tuesday in October every year. And it is an international celebration of women in science, technology, engineering and math, otherwise known as STEM. There is a full-size working version of the Difference Engine now, many years later. (laughs) (laughs) I think they built it in 91.
0: They dug up his plans and got busy.
1: And then they built the printer nine years later. I forgot to mention that earlier. The machine that Babbage had conceptualized could print its own results, which was just unfathomable. But no one to this day... This is me. I'm I'm sorry. I'm laughing. I'm having Beckett printer jokes in my head. The joke is, for those of you who don't understand, that I haven't had a printer in, I don't even know how many years, eight, nine. <laughs> I don't know anybody that has a printer in my life anymore except Susan. So that's the joke anyway.
0: <laughs> and I can't imagine our house functioning without the printer. Um, so there's the joke.
1: The joke is that they specially constructed a steampunk printer and I had thrown mine in the garbage can. <laughs> um no what, would, mo- what would Babbage say? <laughs> Babbage would say, wow, it must be really inexpensive for you to be able to just throw it away. Actually, I think I took it to one of those neighborhood, um, you know, they have those things where they like little piles, like there's tires in a pile, there's paint cans in a pile, there's computers in a pile and like assorted entities spirit them away to be recycled that's where I Mm -hmm. took my printer. So no one has ever to this day, and this is 2018, so if you're listening to it 20 years in the future, I could be wrong, but no one has ever built the analytical engine. All right, well, media, media, um, shall we start as usual with books? Oh, yes,
0: let's. Um, I had a couple biographies that I really liked. The first was Ada, the Enchantress of Numbers Poetical Mathematic by Betty Alexandra Toole and Ada's Algorithm, How Lord Byron's Daughter, Ada Lovelace, Launched the Digital Age by James Essinger. Those were the two pure biographies that I had. Did you have a different one?
1: I had one more than that. Um, Ada, Countess of Lovelace, Byron's Legitimate Daughter by Doris Langley Moore, which is very dense with footnotes etc it is a lot of detail in that one i found i love this book so much that i went and bought it
0: <laughs> i tweeted about this book i waxed poetic about this book it's called the thrilling adventures of lovelace and babbage by sydney padua it is a graphic nonfiction with the most hysterical footnotes I have ever read in my life. I couldn't even get through the whole thing. The footnote font is very small, but um, (laughs) my eyes are getting old. I just love this book so much.
1: I'm going to put it front and center on my bookshelf. (laughs) It's so cute. It is so cute. It starts out more biographically. It is the story of Ada, the story of Charles Babbage. And then after the biography part is done, they start going on these madcap science fiction adventures together. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and so it goes off a little off script um but it is uh it is pretty dang adorable um you can get it on libby but i would or at least i can if your library owns it in its system you can get it free on the libby app but i will tell you if you don't have an ipad it's almost impossible to read on your iphone mm-hmm. it's just so tiny um but yeah it is definitely worth getting i mean i i would even buy it it, it is adorable
0: i did and i don't think it was too much on amazon i want to say it was under fifteen bucks for the paperback
1: if you are a younger person um there is a delightful series now this is fiction um a little series of detective novels called the wollstonecraft detective agency book number one is called the case of the missing moonstone and the premise of this is that mary wollstonecraft young mary wollstonecraft and young ada lovelace are friends which of course is not real because they were different ages but in this book they're nearly the same age and ada lovelace has constructed a hot air balloon that stays on top of her house and since her mother is never home they go on all these crazy adventures together it's pretty cute did you talk about that when we did mary wollstonecraft um i am not entirely sure it was out then oh okay um there was
0: another actually for younger kids there's a really cute book called ada lovelace poet of science the first computer programmer by Diane Stanley, illustrated by Jesse Hartland. It was it was big enough as the hardcover. It just reminded me of a book you'd lay in bed and read to your kids at night. There was enough words that you didn't finish it really quickly. And I thought the illustrations were just charming. I really like this book. If I had um, little kids in my house, I would probably get this one.
1: And there are two books that I would say are gift type books. They are compilations. Um, Of different subjects, they have come up, both of them, in different... Subjects of ours. Jason Porath's Rejected Princesses does feature Ada Lovelace, among others. And also Women in Science, 50 Fearless Pioneers Who Changed the World by Rachel Ignatowski. I highly recommend those. Those are, I mean, genuinely wrap up in paper and put a bow on gift worthy. If you have um a niece or nephew or child of your own that would like a present of this nature, those are definitely mm-hmm. really worth it.
0: They, they, Yeah, they are really good.
1: I have Rejected Princesses.
0: And he has another book coming out this year, a second one.
1: Okay, so then I have just two more because I like to go way off script. Well, this isn't way off script. Enchantress of Numbers, a fictional retelling of Ada's story by Jennifer Chavarini, who wrote Lincoln's Dressmaker, which, of course, um, we have mentioned before. So I'm normally not that super into... Historical fiction, but it actually kind of brings her to life in a way that if you read it and then you read her regular story, I, I could see it enriching um, your experience somewhat. So that one, I recommend too. I had started that one. I
0: didn't get it finished, so I didn't write. I didn't write it down as a book that I would recommend. So I'm glad to hear that it that you liked it. That's that's big. A historical fiction that you like.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, how about this alternative history fiction? We're going to go even further. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Okay. I am recommending a book called The Difference Engine by William Gibson and Bruce Sterling. Uh, and it begins with the premise that Babbage accepted Ada's help, and Babbage's machine is the norm. Babbage's machine was constructed, operated, and helped humanity. And then history rolls out that way. Nice. I think I would like that one. <laughs> And then the last, if you like, um, like the little, she is so prone to be made into cartoons and things. There's a series called Ada Goth by Chris Riddell that I really like. And it's a series about the same age as the Mary Wollstonecraft Detective Agency. Okay, cool. As to movies, though, it is a freaking dead zone. It is. Um, it I, is. you know, I don't know what it is. There is one ill-conceived movie called "Conceiving Ada," starring Tilda Swinton. Uh, if you are a super fan of Tilda Swinton, you go on ahead. But I mm, don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, there
1: wasn't really any movies. Although um, Ada did make an appearance
0: on this season's Victoria on our PBS. Um, It was the second episode of the season and Ada and Babbage visit court. Albert is fascinated by Ada's mind and Victoria is jealous by the amazing working mother. Could it have happened? Because we've got an email from you guys that asked if that's possible. Was it possible? Maybe. Victoria and Albert did meet Ada. She was aristocracy, so she was part of their circle anyway. They both tried to get support from Albert at one point. He was looking for a scientific project to throw his energies towards, and they pitched him on it. He didn't bite, but they could have. So he could have gone to their workshop and seen it. So that might very well have happened. And Ada was not only nobility, but she was also Lord Byron's daughter, and she was known Around the world. So there is no way that Victoria would not have known who she was, which is what happened in the show. And she's played by Emerald Fennel, who played Patsy on Call the Midwife.
1: Although I think she looks completely different. She
0: does. She does. When I first saw her, I was like, oh, she's like more like I, I think of Ada as being more um, small boned, mm-hmm. you know, and she's just taller.
1: I think. Also, there was a very brief, very brief internet flash of excitement in 2010 that Zoe Deschanel was rumored to be starring in a movie about Ada, but that never came to fruition in any way. There, in addition, a couple years ago, another movie in development, 2016. Still haven't heard about it. Still haven't seen anything. I just don't know what it's going to take to get that off the ground. It seems like a very costume heavy, you know, atmospheric type of steampunk scenario that we could pull off. There's enough drama in it. It's very soap opera-y, just as it is. (laughs) So any of you who are movie producers, I think you have a wide open field.
0: (laughs) Wouldn't that be great? Do you have any more media that's moving?
1: (laughs) Moving media. (laughs) Well, yes, I do. There is a BBC4 documentary that uh, is hosted by a mathematician all about Ada, and I think... It's not necessarily on their ITV player, but it has um, dates that it will be shown again. So you could maybe program your, uh, I was going to say program your VCR. Speaking of going in the Wayback Machine, (laughs) you could program your DVR to catch it next time it's on. So we've got a link to that. Oh, excellent. Okay. Very recently.
0: Very recently, the New York Times started a new regular feature. They realized that women had been overlooked in their obituary section. I mean, really famous women like Charlotte Bronte and... Ida B. Wells Barnett and Ada Lovelace. So they decided that they were going to start a feature called Overlooked. Ada's is up. It's the first one, I believe. It has her obituary. It's a lovely New York Times obituary.
1: Um, It is very long. It is a half a biography. Are they always like that? I don't know. I guess I don't know enough about the New York Times obituary section to know. I expected a little roundup and a legacy type of situation. It is an entire biography. No, I think they're long.
0: I mean, we've read them before for... People that died at Dorothy Parker, I think. Um, yeah, we've run them. Before. Yeah, they're usually longer. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad they can make it pages and pages. And online, the graphics are lovely. There's a adorable picture of her that I didn't run across in uh, anything else, I don't think, of her when she was very, very little. She just looks like a little elf or a fairy or something.
1: Oh, yeah. We didn't mention that. She often I referred to herself as uh, the fairy, uh, his fairy. And I don't know if it was like a little in-joke where he was like making light of... Her waif-like appearance, based, you know, on the outside, with this powerhouse of fiery mind in the inside. I, it was just a little friend and joke between them. Um, also at one point he called her the enchantress of number, not numbers, as you will see in every Google search. The enchantress of number. Little okay. nicknames are us. <laughs> Um, Wait, wait, she also called her husband C-O-C-K And I don't even know if I I have to bleep that (laughs) I had that in my notes But you
0: were like, let's keep this as clean as possible And I couldn't couldn't put that in there without making a dirty joke Yeah, Like the bird, I'm sure Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> you can actually visit Newstead Abbey. It's publicly owned, open to the public. Uh, you could rent the Gardener's Cottage, which is a two bedroom, one bath
1: um, cottage on the grounds for 200 bucks a night with a three night minimum. This is Lord Byron's ancestral home that he was forced to sell after his monetary marriage failed him.
0: Yeah, and it, it was in a lot of disrepair. There's only part of it left standing, but this gardener's cottage is adorable. And you can walk the grounds. I mean, it's it's gorgeous. Also, if you're in the United Kingdom, you can visit the National Museum of Computing and it's on the Bletchley Park Estate. There's a museum and there's a section about Ada in there. There you go. And I have nothing else. <laughs> okay.
1: If you would like to know about the history of Ada Lovelace Day, which is... Pretty recent in origin. FindingAda.com will give you all the information you need to know. And then I just thought I would throw in a little Origin of Steampunk because that's the first thing I thought of when I saw this difference machine model um, from the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrence. I am going to give you a link to that, too. That will do it for our coverage of Ada Lovelace. And in closing, I would like to read the first stanza only of a poem that her father wrote. And you will recognize his emotions in this first stanza. Is thy face like thy mother's, my fair child? Ada, sole daughter of my house and heart. When last I saw thy young blue eyes, they smiled and then we parted. Not as we now part, but with a hope. Awaking with a start, the waters heave around me and on high the winds lift up their voices. I depart. Whither I know not, but the hours gone by when Albion's lessening shores could grieve or glad mine eye. Thanks for listening. Bye. If you liked what you heard today, please tell a few friends or leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us in all the usual social media places, although if you're on Twitter, you are going to be talking to Susan. Don't forget that we have a new podcast called The Recappery, where we just finished recapping the entirety of season two of Netflix's The Crown, covering the life of Queen Elizabeth. The song at the end is Ada Lovelace by the Deedle Deedle Dees from their 2016 album, Sing a History Volume 2, featuring all original songs inspired by science, discovery, and magic. It has Ada on the cover. Find a link to their songs and so much more at thehistorychicks.com. HistoryChicks.com. <laughs> Byron had a daughter named Ada. She studied math as a kid. Her mother made Ada. her. She didn't want Ada to be a poet like her dad. A man once called Mad, Mad. So it tied into a board and made her listen. But she was just a little girl. Here's what happened. Ada was scary good at numbers. Nature? Nurture? I, I wonder. wonder. I think she was born with it. But she ran with Ada it. Ada wrote a computer program with it. She made it through Average a party he was throwing he had a machine for calculation He started he it going, going Telling her how it worked and she got it, it. They became good friends How could they know. not? She saw beauty in machines Poetical science The analytical engine Badish Badish design, design. A computer basically But really he really never got, got to work She wrote notes about Some it Some amazing words She wrote an algorithm That a machine could understand Ada Lovelace wrote the world's first computer program